0: I am not a victim of my circumstances, and I had to get that in my head. Diane, you are not a victim of this. God is going to help you overcome this, and He prepared me for this entire hard, disgustingly awful season.
1: Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share stories of hope found in Jesus. I'm Robin, and I am here with Katie and Lindy, and we are your podcast hosts. Today, we have Diane Bryson's story from our Auburn Opelika team, and wow, what a story. Yeah, it's a story made for a lifetime movie, for sure. There are so
2: many layers. There is cancer, there's betrayal, there's forgiveness, there is healing, not only physical healing, but emotional and spiritual healing as well. If you're a note taker, get your pen and pad
3: out and get ready. (laughs) And today, for our Patreon insiders, we are continuing the marriage series, and we have part two with Brent Blanks from episode 216. And you will so enjoy hearing more about her relationships and her marriage. So if you want to join us over on Patreon, you can scroll down in our show notes or simply go to our website at storytellerslive.org. Here's Diane.
0: My name is Diane. I have a couple of super cool things about me. I am the wife of Jim Bryson. He is so wonderful, and hopefully everybody in this room gets to meet him because he will change your life of course, outside of Jesus. But um, I am a biological mother of one. His name is Gabe. He's 17 years old. And I'm a bonus stepmom of three. Riley is 20. He's at Troy. Jack is 17. He's a senior in high school. So it kind of matches because my son's 17. So that's been really beautiful to watch. And then Kate is 13 years old, and she loves anime and anything silly and frilly and Lululemon, so she's very expensive. I am a fourth grade teacher at Auburn Classical Academy, and I love those babies like I, not like I birthed them, but I would give my life for those children, and I know that God has put me there specifically to speak life over them, so I'm very confident and very thankful that God set inside of me a desire and a passion to teach, and that I'm getting to fulfill that now. So I'm super thankful. Jim and I ended up buying a coffee shop this summer because we had nothing to do. So I guess now you could say in the summertime, I'm a, your local barista. And we we have a great time. Jim and I work so well together, and we just kind of play off of each other and getting to see his personality all the time. Just brings me great delight. So, before I start my story, I wanted to encourage everybody in here that I am not the only one in here with a story, that everybody in here, God is walking you in and out of something, and that your story matters. Also, out of full permission, I just did, do need you to know before I start this that I did contact my ex husband, who I do have a really great working relationship with now, and he did give me permission to share. Parts of our story. Before I start that, I just wanted to make sure that you knew I was not uncovering him. And you'll you'll hear bits of of why I wanted to make sure he was protected and also my son was protected too. Your season has a purpose. And everything that I walked through has a purpose. You know, one thing that I prayed during my entire life has been, God, make me a heart that has good soil that you plant your good seeds in that will grow and be well watered. And trusting that that will bring good fruit and all of those seeds will bear good fruit has been something that I've had to focus my mind on. That, Lord, even when I'm walking through the most absolute atrocious, nobody should have to walk through this pain, but you are with me and you are drawing good gifts out of me. And I had to really recognize that in each season of my life. I hope that you hear tonight a, a marked life of God's faithfulness and that you hear that Jesus was with me the whole time and He never was outside of the picture. He was always right beside me. So I had to realize even most recently, a couple, a couple of months ago, that whatever I was choosing to hold on to mm-hmm. is what I was choosing not to change. So as I talk about my story, you'll hear these different parts that, and I was able to verbalize it through my, my dear friend Callie as I was sharing some things with her, that these things that I wanted to hold on to because, you know, you get wounded and you want to wound back. Hurting people hurt people, right? But I did not want to become that bitter, angry person that uh, couldn't hold, was holding on to things and couldn't let go. So I was born into an incredibly loving home, but unchurched. Uh, My dad is my absolute best friend. I don't know what I'd do without him. Even when I was in high school and in middle school, right after swim team practice, he'd pick me up and we'd go straight to this place called Star Lake in Birmingham and we would walk miles and he would ask me questions. Well, tell me, what did she say after that? (laughs) And he was just so engaging and made me feel so loved as a daughter. And my mom, beyond words, is my fighter. She is a judge, and she knows where the boundaries are. <laughs> and she will fight for you. And And certainly in my story, you'll hear times that she marked me as, I'm fighting for you. You are the one that I'm going to give my heart to in this season. I'll go ahead and start. When I was five, between five and six years old, by the hands of some babysitters. I was severely sexually molested and my biggest memory from that season of my life that I did not remember until I was about twenty years old was me running up the stairs. And I, I realized it through trauma counseling, but I ran up the stairs and well, I was completely naked. My mom had gotten home early from either a tennis match or a French club or something. And she said, What are you doing? And my response was, Mommy, they're hurting me. And of course, I was crying. So my mom picked up the phone and called the police. And we chose not to press charges against those babysitters, really primarily for the simple fact of the trauma that it brings to the heart of a child to have to relive that on the stand. And so my parents tried to do their best to cover it up. But again, we were unchurched. So how can you lead somebody to peace and hope and Jesus when you're not following Jesus? Thank you, God, for marking me as a target. And I was 12 years old, and I ended up getting invited to VBS at Shades Mountain Baptist in Vestavia, Alabama. And the guy was, the youth pastor was like, You know, hey, why don't we go ahead and and read some out of this scripture? And he called on me to read, which, okay, cool, cool, I can read. But we got to this word, and it was T-I-T-H-E, and I called it tithy, because I didn't know what—I'd never seen the word before. And so he kind of knew, this girl might need a little one-on-one attention. And so at the end, he ended up saying, does anybody want to accept Jesus? And I was the first one with my hand raised, because I'd never—even when he was praying, I, I didn't know that you could experience love from your Creator. And I was so beckoned in my heart to follow him. And so I went to his office. He gave me my first Bible. It had like two little fingerprints like E.T., one from heaven and one from earth, where <laughs> little fingerprints were touching. And that began an incredibly radical transformation. Everything changed for me. Everything changed. I ended up having a great opportunity when I was um, a junior in high school to lead my mom to Jesus. We were sitting at the kitchen counter, and We were talking about eternity and talking about heaven. And my mom said that she wanted to be with me in eternity. And of course, what greater joy than to lead somebody to Jesus and to walk them to the heart of the Father? And so I ended up getting to lead my mom to Christ, which was amazing. And my dad recommitted his life quickly. I was like super involved. I was walking to every church I could get to because when you want to get involved, you just got to walk sometimes when you're 14 years old and you don't have a car. So I ended up walking across the street to another church called Green Valley Baptist that it is exactly where my heart needed to be. And I was so discipled there. And thank you to the Church of Jesus that disciples young people to follow Christ. So many good seeds were planted in my heart. There was this huge passion for purity that God put in me. I I decided at that point that I was not going to kiss until I got married, which, I mean, you know, as a 14-year-old, I mean, okay, girl, you do you. But I ended up um, sticking with my guns and ended up, um, this one boy, we had met at, you know, it was centrifuge, it was this camp. And he was like, "Don't you want to kiss me?" And I was like, "Well, you gotta put a ring on it, buddy." <laughs> and um, so God just was was just planting so many good seeds in me, and those will always bear good fruit. Okay, and I ended up graduating from Hoover High School, and I went to. Auburn. I'm a fourth-generation Auburn grad. I didn't really have a choice. Uh, my, grand, my great-grandfather graduated in 1903 when it was API, and my grandfather graduated in 1932 when it was still API, and my dad graduated in 67, and then when it was you know, time for us to decide where we were going to school, I decided, well, I want to go to UT, and my dad said, well, honey, you can go wherever you want, but I'm only paying for Auburn, <laughs> so I decided that that was definitely the place that I needed to go, so... <laughs> ended up meeting my first husband, my last, back then we were on quarters, but it was my last quarter at Auburn. And we met and married six months and 28 days later. Uh, We met through a blind date and we were married for about a month shy of 20 years. We struggled at the very beginning of our marriage with infertility. I was diagnosed with this really rare, random first stage cervical cancer. And so it was harder for me to get pregnant, obviously, just because of the scar tissue that I from the surgery that I'd had. But I'm so thankful that God saw my cry like he saw Hannah's cry. And she begged God in the temple, please give me a son, please give me a child, and I will dedicate this child to you. And that's exactly what I did. God, please give me this child, and I will dedicate him to you for your glory. And so I ended up thankfully, had a a little boy. His name is Gabe. And if you know him, he's wild and wacky and so fun to be around. And he is um, very emotional. For those of you that have teenage boys, Jesus be with you and me. During that season, we were going to the super crazy church. And this is kind of, I need to share this part of it because you need to know why it was significant. when. I woke up one day and I had a fever blister on my lip and, you know, fever blisters are not very practical, nor are they pretty. (laughs) So um, I ended up getting this fever blister and the pastor of the church said that it was because I was in sin. And so you can imagine when I was diagnosed with cancer, what was said and the significance of those words and trying to refute those words off of me that it's not that you're covered in sin, that you have a fever blister. I mean, come on, is this a joke? It's actually a virus. But I ended up getting diagnosed in 2007 with a really rare cancer in my right leg. And um, I found out because my leg went numb. I was at Jim Bob's, this local chicken finger restaurant. And here goes my leg. I can't feel it. And I just thought this is this is a little odd. So I ended up going to the hospital. The the orthopedic surgeon felt it and he called for an MRI, called for a biopsy. And I need to share with you one part of this story that if any of you have ever gone through a season that is so difficult that you can't sleep, I, I completely understand where you are. And it breaks my heart that you've had to experience a restless night. I could not sleep for about two nights after, well, it was after the biopsy, but before they gave me the diagnosis because I thought for sure this was going to be my, these were going to be my last days with my son. And at the time he was 13 months old and I couldn't take it. God, you gave me this child. Please save my life and spare his heartbreak. I want to encourage you with something that if you have ever been in that place, Psalm 121 says that he that keeps you does not slumber or sleep. Jesus was awake with me in the middle of the night, walking me through that fear. I was very diligent after that. East Alabama had actually never even seen this particular kind of cancer. And I was very diligent after that to try to find a specialist. We ended up bouncing to all these places that had seen, you know, two cases of it. This other guy had seen three cases of it. And but most of it was that they had never even seen this before. I even searched out some specialists that you could say were, they were very liberal in their thoughts about how cancer should be treated. One of the doctors ended up injecting the tumor with hydrochloric acid. And now, if you look at the images, you can still see this pocket, this bubble of fluid that's that's actually still there in my leg. So you might want to call me if you ever you know need to talk about something like this. I got you, and I can tell you where not to go. Uh, <laughs> We in, I, I ended up landing at Emory University Hospital in 2011. They had seen 15 cases of this. And so I just thought, oh my gosh, you've seen 15 cases. I'm not alone in the world. And they ended up doing these procedures called cryoablation. So they stick this really long needle in the heart of whatever tumor it is. And it does work on some particular tumors. But they stick this really long needle and then at the tip of the needle, they it creates this like ice crystal, like a bubble. And once it gets to the size that they want, then they they stop the freezing and then they blast helium through the tip of the needle and it causes this spontaneous like spontaneous break um, and immediate scar tissue, necrotic tissue, in where, you know, wherever the, the bubble is. They ended up Doing that the first time, I was a personal trainer, like literally the day before all of this happened. So I was super active and I woke up and it had paralyzed me. The doctor had said before the surgery, hey, don't worry about it, Diane, you're gonna be able to walk in three days. You just need to give it some minute, let the fluid leave and you'll be fine. And um, all I can tell you is that when I woke up, I knew something was wrong because I was telling my foot, like you're in recovery and I'm laying in the bed and I'm literally telling my foot to move. But I couldn't feel the sheets at all. So it was like the weirdest sensation. The doctor comes and he said, hey, I'm sorry, we actually nicked your nerve. Um, And if you know anything about nerve regeneration, it doesn't happen. But Jesus can make all things new. So I started down my first journey through learning how to rewalk again. I will tell you, it was one of the hardest things I I have emotionally been through just because I would... I can remember I was on the phone with my dad, and I was like, Daddy, but it won't move. And he said, Honey, just look down at it. You tell it right now to move. (laughs) Okay, Daddy, (laughs) foot, move. And he said, In Jesus' name. And so I'm like commanding this foot to move, and nothing is working. And they ended up putting me in this huge brace that was a brace meant for stroke patients because I had what's called foot drop, so I literally couldn't pick up my foot. Um, you guys, that happened three times. I had seven major surgeries that were based like that at Emory, and surgeries one, three, and six paralyzed me, so I had to learn how to rewalk again three different times, which was a complete miracle in itself. They said they'd never seen anybody come back from one of them, much less what How did this girl do it? She had three. Um, I ended up taking these high doses of a green tea extract that helps regenerate the nerve that that some doctors now believe actually can link that to nerve regeneration. I believe it helped. My brother's actually the one that called me and told me to take it. But at the seventh surgery, the doctor came in and my mom was in the room and my dad was there and the doctor said that he had no more ideas on treatment And said that I was just going to have to continue surgeries until I passed. And said that now it became an issue of a quality of life. And please put yourself where, okay, where I am. And how, like, I had to push against the fear. And I had to push against that darkness. My son was at the time seven. And um, he was just a baby. And just... I was homeschooling him because we didn't know how long I was going to make it, and all of this like huge war inside of me was fear, but God, I trust you, and just have this anxiety and this fear that was so crippling. Um, my mom was in the room, and you put my mom in the room with a doctor that says that to her daughter? Oh, uh-uh. <laughs> and she said, um, you're not going to talk to my daughter like that. And she fought for me, and they ended up flying me to MD Anderson. I was there three days later. To meet with some specialists there, some sarcoma specialists. And my team is amazing. I love them so much. My doctor is one of my close friends, and um, she and I have a great time. Every time we go to Houston, we have dinner with them and their family, and she's so wonderful. And I've gotten to share Jesus with all of these people. I mean, it's just amazing, because you can have hope in anything. Even in the greatest darkness, Jesus is still the light of the world. Um, so while I was there the first time, my doctor said, we've never seen anything like this before. The tumor was 180 millimeters long. All of those cryoblations didn't really do much to um, healing the, my leg, except for causing these massive nerve pain issues. Um, so they said, we, you're going to have to start chemo immediately. And mind you, like, I'm the girl that's going to inject hydrochloric acid in her leg. I don't want chemo because I thought that's poison. Chemo's poison. Hydrochloric acid, everybody can do that. Um, and little did I know that God was going to use that season, um, which, w- which became so difficult. But as she put me on this pill, I was on two different chemos. And the first chemo that I was on, I was on for 18 months straight. And I would hold the pills in my hand and literally speak life over them. Pills? In Jesus' name, you go and you kill whatever cells you need to, but you stay away from my hair. (laughs) And I was so desperate to keep my hair. And it was, guys, I'm going to tell you, it was a super tough season, and primarily because I did lose about 85% of it. I had these kind of weird patches, and I had some extensions that I would put in just to kind of mask the fact that I was bald. I was so weak during that season. Chemo will just ravage, well, for me, it ravaged my body. I ended up losing hearing, 90% hearing in my right ear, and about 50% in my left, and threw up for about a thousand days straight, which was probably the most difficult part, especially because my son didn't understand. He was still so little. I got off chemo and about three months later, I didn't know what I was about to experience would have even been harder than that. It was the night of the iron bowl, and I only remember that because I was watching the stupid game. And my ex husband accidentally sent me some videos that were meant for his girlfriend. And in one of the videos, he stated that he figured a way out that he was going to divorce me. And some of the videos were explicit. I didn't know what to do because I thought at least I have a partner to walk through this awful season with. So I immediately called my mom and dad. I was so unbelievably broken, I was so scared, and I was so shocked. And in the middle of that, this might sound so crazy, but I was so hopeful that, God, maybe you would use this, and maybe you can redeem this story for your glory. And then I found out who the betrayal was with, and it was with our babysitter and the girl that I mentored and came over to our house every Tuesday for Taco Tuesday and helped raise my son. I could not sleep for days. I felt so unbelievably abandoned and so worthless and so ugly. Like, golly gee, I thought at least my hair was growing back a little bit. Like, I didn't know that I was so, you know, unbecoming to you. But um, the anxiety that that brought was, I can't even put it into words. My mom, because of her legal background, I I had really kind of wondered. And I had caught my ex-husband with some opioids, And so I I thought that maybe he was on something and my mom said, you need to go get a drug test immediately, like file it with the court and you need to go get a drug test. And he ended up being five times the limit of one main drug. And then he was positive for two other ones. I was so shocked. And, you know, it's funny because when I tell people my story, they're like, you didn't know, like you couldn't see the signs. Y'all, I totally believed the best of this man. If you are my friend, or I'm going to fight for you, and I'm going to believe the best in you, in Jesus' name, because I hope somebody does the same for me. And so I did the same for him. But I do want you to know something that's so important that my dear friend Susan shared with me this week, that forgiveness is not the work of a human. It is God's work that puts forgiveness in the heart of man. He is the one that can work that gift out inside of you. We cannot do it on our own. And I'm going to tell you, it was so hard to choose The path of forgiveness that I was about to walk through. I was so mad at God because I felt like every time I would make the choice to forgive Rick, it was because God was fighting for Rick. God, don't fight for him. Fight for me. I'm the one that is the victim. But what I didn't know is that God will leave the 99. Thank you, Jesus, that he leaves the 99 to rescue the one. And it just so happened in that situation that he was the one. That God wanted to rescue. There is not a place in your life that God does not want to teach you forgiveness, either emotionally, physically, or financially. And it comes with benefits. I am not a victim of my circumstances. And I had to get that in my head. Diane, you are not a victim of this. God is going to help you overcome this. And he prepared me for this entire hard, disgustingly awful season. He specifically gave me a word in prayer. I was at Saturday morning prayer, and God told me specifically, I want to put new sandals on his feet, on my ex-husband's feet. I want to put a new robe on his back, and I want to put a new ring on his finger. God gave me people in that season that there is no way I could have made it without (coughs) them. In particular, there's one here that Erin, she's right there. I'll just go ahead and point her out. She was such a fighter for me in this season she would stay up at night with me until i fell asleep for almost a year and a half she and my dear friend susan would flip-flop and they would trade out times because the heartbreak was so intense and i didn't feel like i was ever going to make it out of it there was one night specifically that i was trying to like hang out with aaron and you know we're trying to be girls and i was like i'm so tired let's just go let's just go to bed So we go to bed. I turn on worship music, and it just so happens that it's Jaira from Elevation Music. Okay, I'm sorry, but if you haven't heard the words, please go and do your heart a favor and go listen to that song. But Aaron was laying next to me in the bed, and we were both holding Twizzlers, worshiping Jesus, (laughs) laying in the bed. Okay, we had our priorities straight. Just to encourage you that during this season, what I was putting in mattered. There were three specific things that I could not have made it without these three things. The first one was the Word of God. It became a weapon against every single thought that was going through my mind. If you know the Word of God, you can fight it with His Word. You can fight those lies that are so intrusive, and they will wound you. And then I, I don't know what I'd do without worship. Worship, to me, got my eyes off of myself, and they put them back onto heaven. And God, let you be glorified. Lord, let your kingdom grow through this pain. And then also, I would not have made it without my people. The accountability that your people will hold for you, it is priceless. I knew I needed to change. There were some there were some things that were coming out of my mouth that were not so holy. Okay, I was just so angry at the time. I was walking on First Avenue in in downtown Opelika walking the dogs, and all I can remember is thinking, I've got to choose to live. I cannot let this rule me anymore. And so I made a decision that I was going to watch everything that came out of my mouth because I knew that God was going to hold me accountable for every idle word. And then I began to pray, God, would you set a guard over my mouth and keep watch over the door of my lips so that no harsh word against anybody, even if it's my enemy, would come out of this mouth. But Lord, purify my heart. There was this one Saturday morning at prayer that I would always go straight to the corner with my communion element in hand. And while I was in the corner this one time, I was choosing to forgive what had happened with my ex-husband and choosing to forgive the babysitter and that double betrayal, right? But the most powerful thing that, that happened in that situation, I'm, I'm standing in the corner and it was like the Holy Spirit said, don't just forgive them, bless them. Bless your enemies. Bless those who persecute you and hate you for my namesake. And so I did. And at that moment, stuff started breaking off of me. And then I started to feel like maybe I could have courage to get out of this. Y'all might think I'm a little weird, but there was something that I had to do during COVID. And this was kind of during that season. I would have these declarations that I would have to look at myself in the mirror and say a hundred times. I mean, during COVID, I probably said them 20 or 30 times a day, sometimes, all of them. And if it didn't work, I'd say it again. But I'm just going to read some of the declarations over you guys. And if you are in a season that is difficult, please just let these words wash over you and speak life to you. And then if you're not in a tough season, just receive them as words of hope that maybe you could share with somebody else. Jesus is good, and He keeps getting better as my eyes open to more of who He is. I choose to tear down the walls that I've built up in my heart against others. My heart will stay submitted to change, and I will allow the Holy Spirit to renew and transform me. My life was bought with a price, therefore I am valuable. I will guard the things that I choose to let my mind dwell on because I have the mind of Christ. I will guard what comes out of my mouth and choose to speak love. I will choose to watch what I eat because my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. I am not alone, no matter what man has said or done to me. I am washed and clean no matter my circumstance. I am in love with God, therefore He will use everything for my good and for His glory. I will not be moved by my circumstances, but be moved by the leading of the Holy Spirit. I will not fear death because I gain eternal life through Jesus. I believe that every bite the locust has eaten and that the enemy has stolen from my life will be restored. God is with me wherever I go. There is no place that I could run from his presence. Nothing can separate me from Jesus. I am new in him. Those were some of the declarations that I used to walk my own soul out of. Some of the scriptures that walked me out, my dear friend Callie ended up making me a bracelet that says, Talitha Kumi, which means daughter arise. That's straight out of the book of Mark chapter five, where Jesus is healing the woman with the issue of blood, but then also almost in tandem is healing Jairus's daughter and he says he sa- Jesus says daughter your faith has made you well go in peace your suffering is over and i would say that over and over and over again that my season of cancer is over in jesus name lord i receive the gifts that you have given me of healing and god i will stand on your word no matter what it looks like God, my season of this suffering emotionally is over. Jesus, you will help me and you will walk me through this and you will get me on the other side. Psalm 34, 18 says that he's close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. I can almost taste the times that I said that and how many times I said it out of my mouth. Lord, even though this season is so difficult, you are close beside me. The promise that the God God, that lives in heaven and is for us and fighting for us is close to us when we go through trauma and tragedy. Isaiah 43 was like my chapter. In the beginning, it says uh, that he's called us by name and that we go through deep waters, we will not drown. And when we go through fires of oppression, we will not be burned up and that he has ransomed us. He traded somebody else's life for mine. He wants me and he's fighting for me. I'm going to encourage you with something. If you've ever been through unforgiveness and a battle with whoever it is, there was something that a friend of mine told me to do, and I was marked by this. He said, Diane, every time you get angry and you remember the hurt that has happened with your ex-husband, take communion. Open your Bible, read Isaiah 53. And read how it says, remember that he died for our sins. He bore the sins of many, and he interceded for the rebels. So I ended up buying boxes of communion elements on Amazon. I mean, it's pretty comical when you see my history, okay? It's like, well, I wonder what she's doing. I'm having single church right here. But I would take that communion. There were some times that I took it 12 times in one day. I would literally take the bread, and I would say, thank you, Jesus, that your body was broken for me. Thank you, Jesus, that your blood was poured out for my sin. And it was so important that I stopped looking at what somebody else had done to me, and I took responsibility for my own sin, that I was not the result, if you will, of my circumstances. Psalm 23, usually people equate it to grief and the loss of a loved one. But for me, it became a life verse for me. In Psalm 23, it's the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me beside quiet waters. God is kind in Psalm 23. He is provider in 23. He guides me in Psalm 23. He protects me in Psalms 23. And it says at the very end, surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So a friend of mine would say, Diane, think about it like this you can't run from God's goodness. You go to the right, the goodness of Jesus follows you. You go to the left, the goodness of Jesus is following you right there. And that, to me, I ended up trading some clothes for a graphic designer to put it on my wall. I was like, this is amazing. Goodness is going to follow me. Literally, I sold this girl clothes so that she would make me this piece of art that said, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Little did I know I just had to have it in my heart. I don't have to have it on my wall. <laughs> so the, probably the, the biggest last scripture that I held on to was Luke 15. Again, I told you all that I'm a fourth grade teacher. And at our school, we love to memorize scripture. It's my favorite thing. So some of the mothers are here whose children I made memorize the entire chapter. So it's the parable of the three lost. It's the parable of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. And guys, the, the the reason why that scripture was so important to me is because I had to recognize that I was the one that Jesus was leaving because he did not want my heart trapped in unforgiveness and so far away from him that I couldn't hear his voice, that I couldn't hear if he's saying, go right, go left. Whatever God is telling me, if I'm trapped in unforgiveness, I can't go in that direction because I'm stuck So He will leave the 99 to go and rescue me in those seasons. I will tell you, during this season, I call it really my season of harvest, because it was about four years of planting, just constant seeds, constant declarations, constant the Word of God, constant people that would hold me accountable to God's Word and hold me to the truth that I had to choose to forgive, and I could not hold myself in that prison. And constantly breaking fear. And there's this one Bible study that I'm going to recommend if you haven't heard of it. It's called Emotionally Healthy Relationships. And we do it at our church. And it helped me realize that my voice mattered because in my previous marriage, I would just stay silent so that things would not escalate. And I realized that my voice mattered. The things that I had to say that God was giving me I could not hold in any longer. I had a voice and I could say, hey, that really hurt me when you said that. When I would just stay quiet and hold it in. I ended up getting, this is still my four-year season of, of harvest. I ended up completely getting off pain medication, which was also a supernatural miracle. My doctors still are like, I can't even believe you did that. I was on the the max dose of a, a nerve pain called neurotin and I ended up taking so much of it, right, that it didn't even help in the end. I I almost did not sleep for about a month and a half. I couldn't sleep at night because the nerve pain was so unbelievably intense in my right leg. And then when I went to MD Anderson, they said, hey, we're going to put you on the sister drug called Lyrica. And Lyrica worked. And so I was like, praise the Lord, I can sleep now, which was a miracle. It was like a respite. Oh my gosh, I got sleep. This was amazing. But as I started running, I started realizing, I don't think I need this anymore. And so I started slowly weaning myself off by the power of the Holy Spirit and completely got off pain medication. And I have not taken a pill, and I, I don't even remember. I think it's been like three and a half years. So that's a complete miracle. So this is my favorite part about my story. So I told y'all that I was the wife of a wonderful wonderful man named Jim Bryson. So I'm going to tell y'all how everything happened and started to change. So as this harvest started happening, and I could see these things falling off of me, I reached out to Callie and I said, hey, Callie, would you just please pray that God would provide a spouse for me? I just feel like it's the right season. And I I just felt led to call her and ask her that. So she said, girl, give me a list. <laughs> and I was like, you mean like my list list, like what I really pray for in a spouse? And she said, yeah. And so I sent it to her. And he had to love worship. That was of obviously, duh. He has to love Jesus more than anything. But then kind of inside of my list of that was the first thing was that he had to love worship music because worship music had changed me. I wanted somebody that could recognize <clears throat> that and relate to that honestly and, and love it the way that I do. That he had to fight for me and he had to fight for my son. And that he had to honor those, these were the top three, and that he had to honor me with not wanting to kiss before I got married. And so Callie took this list, and little did I know, already had somebody in mind. And so she texted me about a week and a half later, two weeks later, and said, Hey, you want to go to dinner? And I was like, Yeah, girl, let's go to Tzatziki's. So we go to Tzatziki's, and I boohooed in front of her just sharing parts of my story that were still so hard. And Callie said something to me, and I want to encourage you, if you are in a season that seems so difficult or You have been through divorce. Callie spoke these words over over my heart, my still healing heart. She said, Diane, you are going to have a happy ending. You do not have to fight for scraps. Don't fall in love with the potential in a man, because it usually may not ever come. There is a man who does not need you to overhaul him. And he already has his priorities and his boundaries straight. Believe for the exceedingly and the abundantly. So I'm gonna I have to tell you why she said all that. Jim is who she was thinking about. And the way that we met was so beautiful and so holy and so unbelievably set apart. Jim is one of the founding members of a Christian band called Mercy Me, if you've heard of it. And he ended up writing the lick to, you know, the beginning part um of I Can Only Imagine. And she was very careful to guard me because she didn't want my heart to break again in case Jim and I were not a match. But then also she wanted to be careful to guard Jim because she was Jim's good friend too. And so she was like, is is this a God thing? I got to figure this thing out, right? And Jim did not want me to know his name because he did not want to marry a fangirl, okay? Those are real. Apparently I found out that they are real. (laughs) So for our courtship, I did not know what his name was. At first, when, we, when I started hearing about this person, his name was Jay. And I was like, I, I would come up with these names. Is it James? Is it Jimbo? I just was coming up with all of these names. Like, I, I just don't know what his name might be. But it, Jay is such a cute initial. <laughs> um, and so she ended up telling Jim about me. And said, Hey Jim, I've got this friend. She's got a great personality. <laughs> and then she ends up telling Jim, but I promise she's not a toad. <laughs> and so he did at that time see a picture of me because I'm I'm sure, I mean, there were people trying to set him up all the time. And so he was like, Oh, oh, well, she's killed. <laughs> so it ended up being that after Callie told me about him from that night moving forward. It was like something clicked inside of my heart. I began to like literally wake up in the middle of the night, and I have all of the times written down with the scriptures that I prayed. And so I'd wake up in the middle of the night and be like, Holy Spirit, am I supposed to pray for this man? I think his name is Jay. And so I would literally just pray for this man and his children, really not knowing details about him. And then I would send her a text in the morning and be like, Callie, this is the weirdest thing. But I just, I couldn't sleep last night. And I woke up and I was praying these scriptures over him. And this is the times that I I woke up. Well, come to find out, little Mr. Mr. woke up that morning. This happened so many times. And he woke up at the exact same time and was almost praying the same scriptures over me and my son. So we ended up kind of texting through Callie. Again, the the fact that god had brought me these people that i could be so accountable and open to and expose everything to and feel so protected and safe with so we would i would text callie something and she would send it to jim and then jim would text callie and callie would send it to me and this <laughs> bless her heart this went on for this went on for for a couple of weeks and so as callie was praying she said one day she said hey so I I just got this idea that I I really kind of feel like you all have graduated. <laughs> Maybe y'all can write letters. Well, little did she know I'd already gone to Hobby Lobby and I bought a stationery set and I was already writing my first letter to to Jay. And Jim had already started typing the first letter to me. So to both of us it was a complete confirmation that that's this was the direction that our that our love story was supposed to go in. Again, Let me just say this, because of the wounds of my past, God was going to have to do something so holy and set apart to get my attention. But he doesn't just want to do it with me. He wants to do it with his children everywhere. It's not just for me. Aaron ended up calling Callie and being like, girl, you got to tell me, who is this J person? And Aaron ended up knowing Jim, but thought that Jim was married. And so she thought, there's no way it's this Jim guy. Callie was like, oh, girl, it's Jim. And Callie and Aaron were on the phone. And then Aaron started crying and she didn't stop for three days <laughs> because she fought so hard for me to have freedom. And she fought so hard for me to have God's best. And she hoped so much. And she's literally getting to live the fruit of that out. And all of those words of encouragement that she stood with me for. Those letters that we wrote were so exposing. There was no pretense. I ended up sharing just about everything to him, just out of like honoring to him. And I don't know if this is how God is doing this, but I knew that there were a couple of things that I wanted to share in front of him because I needed to see the empathy of his heart to see if he would respond. Like, you don't want to say, you don't want to talk about abuse and be like, yeah, I was abused. Uh, let me see how you respond. Cause this is, this is through letter. I got to see your face. And so there are a couple of things that I withheld until we actually met face to face. I laughed so much in those letters and I cried so much. I felt so wooed and so captivated by this love letters, by these love letters from my husband. He, we ended up writing letters. Even I wrote letters to his kids. He wrote letters to my son. I wrote letters To his family members, he wrote letters to my parents saying, like, I think this is how God is moving in the direction, and I'd like to introduce myself. And and just to encourage you, I I was reading through some of the letters this morning, and in one of the last letters that he wrote before we actually met face-to-face, mind you, we still have not met face-to-face yet, okay? This dude, I don't know what he looks like, but I'm gonna tell you, I knew his soul, and I knew he'd fight for me. And I knew he loved Jesus. And he said, Romans 1, 11 through 12, I long to see you, Diane, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Diane, Jesus has calmed the storm of our broken hearts. And about three days later, after I received that letter, we ended up meeting face to face. And we met at Callie's Farm, and it was beautiful, beautiful. His children were there. Aaron's family and her kids were there. Callie's family and, and Breton were there. And let me tell you something. You guys, the first time I saw that man's face, I came through that door and I'm like, like shaking. Like, what if, what if he doesn't like my brown hair? You know, like just wondering, like, what if he doesn't like my voice? I don't even know. I, I don't even know what to expect. And when we met for the first time, that man held me for 53 minutes. The only reason why I know that is because we have it on video. He leans over to me and holds me. And the first thing he said to me is, you're safe now. And the second thing he said was, and my name's Jim Bryson. <laughs> we had this just beautiful time at Callie's house that first night. And that's when I found out about Mercy Me. Riley was like, hey, so I hear you like Christian music. And I was like, oh, dude, you're not going to beat me on who I know. <laughs> 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 Embarrassed face right here. So he was like, he, Riley ended up pulling up the telephone and and he was like, yeah, here, I'm going to show you this video real quick. Oh, yeah, look, uh, there's. have you heard the song I Can Only Imagine? And I was like, Oh my gosh! Like I taught lyrical ballet, and that was the first song I choreographed. Was to I can only imagine? Of course, I know that song. Do you show you the dance? <laughs> and so we're sitting around this campfire, and he was like, "Yeah, that's that's Barton. Yeah, that's that's Mike, the guitar player." I was like, "Wow, you really know your stuff. Maybe you do know more than I do." And he, and then of course here's this picture of this man on the piano, and he goes, "Yeah, there's there's Jim, Jim Bryson." And I looked at it and I went. What in tarnation! <laughs> I was so shocked because I was like, "Is this a joke?" Because he he had jokingly said in one of his letters that he met Weird Al Yankovic. I was like, wait, you what? <laughs> like he went to one of his concerts? This is amazing. This is everything to me." And of course, I'm, I teach fourth grade, and that's like that's what I play sometimes in my room. And probably the best part of this was watching my parents watch me fully restored. Jim meeting my parents for the first time. First of all, my dad was like, oh, uh-uh. Some man writing letters is not gonna woo you, okay? I'm drawing the line. And my mom, of course, came in packing with her arms crossed and said, you know, oh, Jim, she's she's Canadian. Sorry, she's French-Canadian. And she was like, oh, Jim, who do you think you are? And little did they know they were about to watch this beautiful, even just couple of hours unfold where Jim's kids were there and his kids are ridiculously wonderful. Jack, his 17-year-old was, we were sitting on the couch, Jack was sitting next to me and he was holding my hand, a 17-year-old holding my hand, okay? Not because anything weird, okay? Just because he's so ridiculously affectionate and honoring and he knew He knew I was nervous about this, and so he knew my love language was physical touch, so he was trying to bring me comfort, that little angel face. And Kate is sitting on the other side of me, and she leans her head on my shoulder. And then Jim is on the other side, and he was like, Hey, Jack, can you hop up and get Mr. Dow some water? Yes, sir. And so Jack will do just about anything you ask him to, just because he has such a servant's heart. And so my parents ended up crying, my mom specifically, Well, my dad cried eight times the first time we met, and my mom cried twice, which was amazing. The reason why I say that is because my dad was sitting in the chair, and he said, we are so protective of our daughter because of the pain that she's experienced, and we just are praying for her restoration. And I felt so unbelievably safe in that moment, knowing that here I have this room full of people that won't let go until they see the end and they until they see this fruit fulfilled we have such a great relationship with jim's ex-wife we're actually going on our second vacation with them this weekend she is unbelievable and loves jesus she's actually praying for me right now and just is it, it has become such this beautiful honoring relationship and jim being so healed with her has pushed me to choose more healing and more communication, even with my ex-husband. One thing that's so beautiful about Jim is that he, if he knows I've had a hard day at work, will come into the house, and the first thing that he does is sit down at the baby grand piano, and he just plays over me until my spirit is calmed, and then he prays over us. But the best part is that he holds my hand every night before we go to sleep, and it has made me feel so safe. God is working so much in my ex-husband. And he completely spared his life. And he is going through trauma counseling right now and ended up going to this incredible counselor. I brought some of his books. If you are or know somebody that's going through a season that needs somebody to speak into that, I I did bring some books that you guys are more than welcome to take. And he, this counselor, believes so much in getting to the root of what the issues were. And Rick has experienced so much freedom by reaching back into his past and getting that forgiveness and that healing that, I, I I mean, I attribute most of where Rick is, of course, to the power of the Holy Spirit. But God has used this this counselor and now is counseling my son. And so I'm so thankful for that. This counselor is just, he he is just reaching my kid, and I love that. There are so many benefits of forgiveness, and I just want to encourage you with these that it releases the other person, but also it brings peace to your own soul. It can unlock generations inside of your own home. So it has unlocked things inside of my own son to watch me choose forgiveness. And then also it helps me see the need of others. Forgiveness Helps take the eyes off of yourself because when you're bitter and unforgiving, you you tend to focus inward, right? I mean, that's it's just human nature. It also brings me so much more freedom and so much more joy and light, and the choice that I have. And even most recently, God reminded me of the word that He spoke over Rick. This was about eight months ago, and I had to meet Rick. We had to sign some papers, and I ended up just feeling this impression by the Holy Spirit that God wanted to speak that word over him again from that season. Seems like so far ago that Jesus wants to put a new robe on your back, a new ring on your finger and new sandals on your feet. I boohooed like a baby in the parking lot. And he was like, are you okay? And I was like, yes, I just need you to know that. So close with just two things real quick that even most recently, Jesus is speaking this to me. Diane, what are you wearing? Have you put on love today? Since God chose you to be holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. So my last question for you is, what are you holding on to that you are choosing not to change?
1: I mean, where do we start? Y'all, there are pages and pages of notes so many things to talk about from God's faithfulness and showing up to a journey of challenge, hard, hard times. But ultimately... I don't know. By the end, like you said at the beginning, this was a Lifetime movie. By the okay. end, I'm like rooting for the whole situation. <laughs> you felt like you were there on the farm when she was meeting
2: her husband, too. You're just like, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, you know, if you're not a note taker or if you didn't take notes, we do have transcripts on our website as well. Because I'll tell you, those declarations that she... Talked about and the power of speaking those declarations over her life. I was like, I want those declarations yes. and I want to be able to speak them. So, if you're interested in those transcripts, go to our website and find those. Like you said, Robin, so many layers to her story. I mean, one of those, you know, the unforgiveness that she had in her heart and how God led her to forgiveness, the idea of taking communion every time she was living in that unforgiveness mm-hmm. was super powerful to me. We laughed before we started recording that we would be either flagged <laughs> like she was. On Amazon, <laughs> or we would inhale 3,000 calories of crackers and, and yeah, grape juice. Yes.
1: <laughs> and what a way to catch your thoughts. Mm-hmm. You know, w- people talk all the time, and I mean, the Bible talks about taking your thoughts <laughs> captive. That is a true taking your thoughts captive action. Yeah. To do that.
3: And don't miss the healing that, that God did and Diane's cancer journey and just how he walked beside her and talking about the declarations that that she did proclaim, goodness will follow me. And I had never thought about that from Psalm the 23rd Psalm. Goodness will follow me. Yeah. Um and and that that really spoke to me not only um, that, but also just wanting to be that prayer warrior friend. Mm. I feel like we've had several stories recently about community and about coming alongside other believers. And again, it's just a, a great reminder of intentionality because those friends were praying. They were also encouraging her, you're going to run before <laughs> that next doctor's appointment. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I just want to be that kind of
2: friend. Yeah. And how that friend said, don't go for the scraps. You believe in <laughs> in immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. Yes. Yeah, we need those yeah. people in our lives for sure.
1: It has continued to be a theme that that I think we're supposed to stop and pay attention to that, mm-hmm. not just us sitting here, but like you as listeners. God mm-hmm. sometimes will bring us a theme within our stories on accident. It's not his accident. Mm-hmm. We we catch it. and And this is one of those themes that's really come up is... Being a good friend, really praying for your people, really standing in the gap for them. Because when I heard her say that in this story, I thought, okay, who can I send this story to right now? Mm -hmm. Um, And I I had three people off the top of my head where I was like, I could send them this story this minute, because they need to learn how to stand on the word. They need that encouragement when she was walking through cancer, and really just standing on his word of going, oh, well, okay, if this is what she prayed, just give me this, because my brain cannot find what I'm supposed to pray, but she's giving me those words, and we're going to grab them.
3: Yeah, I'm going to tell you what else I loved. I loved the little wooing and the romantic story of, of her and her husband and and just the letters and the yeah I, I, Jim that that whole thing. Not to mention, you know, he's with Mercy Me and I love them. <laughs> but um, but it was just it was so hopeful. It, it was great. Yeah, and, and I, I don't
1: know that I've heard it. Of- story like that. Maybe with your first marriage, definitely not a second marriage.
2: Yeah, of just the sweetness of that. And I do think we would be remiss to not just bring up this final point of that, you are not a victim of your circumstances. She spoke about that. And I think that was one of the truths that we can all take away from this story, that no matter what you are walking through, and wow, Diane walked through it all just about mm-hmm. she said I'm not a victim of my circumstances I'm going to choose God over my circumstances so it's a reminder it's something for us to hold on to today as as we're coming to the end of of this month of love
1: <laughs> so thank you for listening like we said or like I said earlier there is no doubt you know somebody that needs some kind of hope from this story whether it's healing or marriage or relationships or encouragement or community please share this story we love when you do that and also we love feedback. We tell you that. But would you just reach out to us and let us know how God has used this story or any of our stories in your life? It's it's why we do what we do, is to hear from you and to hear how God uses these. You can tell us on Instagram. You can send us an email at info at storytellerslab.org. Pretty much anywhere you can find us, it also includes a place to reach out. And we would be honored if you would do that. So thanks so much for listening today, and we will talk to you next week. Bye.